I'll be mindful of your time today, but I feel something on my heart. I want to preach to you today and forsake not to preach to you the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, the picture that he paints with the broad brushstroke of his words appears to me to be a completely contrary picture to what the religious world is striving for today. I'm not against knowledge and I'm not against understanding. We've got to have it. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs, the wise man said, with all that getting, get understanding. We need to have it. But we were also warned by the apostle that in the end times that there would be people who were ever learning and they were never able to come to the knowledge of who Jesus really is and I want to tell you that while we must seek wisdom and we must seek knowledge you're never going to understand the fullness of who he is by words that are on a page coming out of a book and you're never going to understand the fullness of who he is by sitting in a class while a professor tries to tell you who he is The way that you're really going to know who he is is when you let him put his hand on your life and you put your hand in his hand and you begin to walk with him every day of your life. I want to tell you, this is not a call to the knowledge about who he is. This is not about knowing about him. This is a call to knowing him and to know him. You got to walk with him. And when it doesn't make sense, you got to trust him. And when you cannot see the next step, you got to trust that when you're holding his hand, we walk by faith and not by sight. In this day and time that we live in, and I don't say this to just be uh, critical today. I don't want you to think I'm being critical. But I say this today sincerely and from a sincere perspective that pulpits are filled today with more knowledge than there has ever been. We've got preachers who have more degrees than a thermometer, but not enough common sense to declare the whole counsel of God. People can talk about him today, but listen, I'm not here today to just tell you about Jesus. I want you to know him for yourself. I want you to know who he really is. I want you to know him in the fullness of his revelation. But in order to know him in the fullness of revelation, you've got to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. We live in an age that teaches a prosperity doctrine that when you walk with Jesus, that everything is about prosperity. But the picture of prosperity that they preach is one without any trouble and without any chaos and without any struggle. But I've come to tell you this morning, when you walk with Jesus, it's not always in the absence of trouble. It's the, it's the fact that you know in the midst of trouble, he is with you. In the midst of chaos, he is with you. If I'd never been sick, I'd never know he was my healer. If he never delivered me, I'd never know he was my deliverer. Sometimes we meet him in the fire. 
He was revealed in that fiery furnace. He was revealed in that lion's den. His presence was revealed in dark places like caves of Adullam. His presence was revealed in the cleft of a rock while Moses hid there. I'm telling you right now, I wish I could promise you that every day with Jesus was a mountaintop perspective. But the psalmist David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Yes, I'm going to walk through some valleys, but I'll never walk through the valley alone. Yes, I'm going to walk through some dark places, but the Lord shall be my light and my salvation of whom shall I fear. Yes. It seems that in a modern generation, our hunger for knowledge has become greater than our hunger for his presence. We would rather sound smart than be powerful. We live in a, in a generation where scholarship has taken precedence over spiritual demonstration. And I want to tell you why. I'm going, to, I'm going to sum this up quickly. I've got to get to where I'm going. But I want to tell you why. It's because we can control knowledge. But you can't control the deep things of God. We're not afraid for people to get more knowledge. But the enemy is afraid for you to start walking in more dominion. He is afraid for you to start walking in more power. He is afraid for you to start walking in the demonstration of the power of God. Hey, I want to tell you, I thank God for every story that I've ever heard of wheelchairs getting emptied out but I want to see it for myself I thank God for every story of the blind eyes that have been open but I want to see it for myself I thank God I thank God for the revelation of who he is we can have it for ourselves but pastor I, I don't think you understand how chaotic this world is oh yes I get the picture. I said, yeah, but Pastor, you live in a different world because, you know, you're, you're just this spiritual being. And you, 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 you don't really have to face what we face. Listen, I'm going to tell you. I see it all. I listen to it. I hear it. Well, I don't listen to all of it. Some of it I've refused to listen to. But I see what this world's up to. And while some people, it has them scared to death, I'm going to tell you what it does to the real church. It gets the church excited. Because we're close to the coming of the Lord. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to have the greatest revival we've ever seen. Pastor, what in the world are we going to do? This world's crazy. The world is hungry for revival. If I could say this this morning, just because a bunch of crazies get the microphone does not mean they're the majority. This nation is about to see a revival like we have never seen. There is a hunger like we have never seen. There is a presence like we have never felt. This morning as, as I was listening to the beautiful singing and, and then the music just kind of faded out and you began to sing as a congregation I realized that the greatest moves of God that we have ever 
read about in history happened with less technology than we have right now. And I, I say this today, I, I'm grateful for all the technology that we have, especially for sound systems. Somebody say amen. I can't imagine being Jesus and having to preach to 5,000 men plus their wives and children without a PA system. Now he could do it. But I'm glad this morning that I'm only preaching to a couple hundred people in this room and I got a PA system. I'm glad that you can hear me. I thank the Lord for that. But you know, revivals aren't birthed because of stage lighting, sound systems, air conditioners, furnaces. Revivals are birthed because of hunger. Revivals started in living rooms. Come on, somebody. Revival started in places where one man comes out, set on fire for God, and it's so contagious that the people who are in the room can't help but get the vision, and they get lit on fire. You know, there's a thing going now, and, and I'm not against this. Please understand, I'm not saying this critically, but you know, now it's a big thing to get together and write songs in groups. It, it's it's kind of cool. It's, uh, it's a sharing of thoughts. People get together, and I don't like that line. Let's do this. Let's put this in. It takes creative, right? It's very, very neat. But you know, some of my favorite songs were not birthed in songwriting sessions. Some of my favorite songs were birthed when G.T. Haywood was shut up in his office by himself for three days praying and fasting. And there was nobody else in there. And when he stepped out of his office, he said, on Calvary's Hill of Sorrow. <laughs> I see a crimson stream of blood. I thank God for music and knowledge of music. And I thank God for smart music directors that have their degrees. But the degree of the music director is not going to save us. But the blood will still save us. It'll still save us. I, uh, I felt kind of foolish, you know, because... We had a conversation the other day when, when uh, Brother Sawyer was working on the trim and trying to get everything ready for the platform. We had this conversation for a minute. We were like, well, what would we do then if we have to cover up? Like, what if we didn't have a projector? And I was like, I know. I mean, I can hear the trumpet sound right now. I mean, could you guys imagine if we had to have church? Don't pass out. And you couldn't read the words? It'd be awful. And especially if you had to read out of your Bible. <laughs> oh, no, please turn to the book. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? There's no screen. We're blessed, church. We're blessed. We're blessed. Brother Rolando, it looks good. You did good. Good paint. Brother Jordan, man, you did good. Y'all got it looking good. Uh, I, I looked this morning, I thought, right now it kind of looks like a, like, a, uh, like a game set. It's going to get better. Looks so good. But what I want to tell you today is if all of it goes away, and we don't have all the beautiful things that we've got, I want to tell you, he is still enough. 
I said he's still enough. Because I've never seen beautiful LED lights that have healed the lame and made them walk again. But I know a man who can. I can't take blind eyes and open them. But I know a man who can. All the blessings that we have from God, sincerely, they're innumerable. The blessings and the favor of God that have rested on us in North America are truly beyond comprehension. I find myself griping sometimes about problems that nobody ever in third world will ever complain about. Because they don't have that problem. Yeah, I, got, I got a big old crack in my driveway. And I walk through there and trip on them like, man, I hate this stupid driveway. But I got a driveway. Come on now. I mean, I got a driveway. And they got cars in it. And, and, and I got my, got my little RV sitting there that I can look at and wish I was camping. It's kind of cool. You get a cool RV because you're going to rest and you stare at it and be like, man, I wish I was camping. And while I'm looking at it, I trip over the crack in the driveway. But I got a driveway. And I walked in here the other day and I know, man, I hope this don't take me down in y'all's eyes. I was complaining. I was like, oh, I'm so sick of stepping over stuff, getting in my office. I'm sick of the dust. I'm sick. Of, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. It's like, hey, dummy. Hey. Like, so sorry. He's like, you got a church. And I'm going to tell you what, what we've got. We got something in here that can't be measured. By linear feet and square yards of carpet. We've got the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can't put a value on that. We know what it feels like to have church without carpet. And we know what it feels like to have church without drywall. But I don't ever want to know what it feels like to have church without Jesus. I told you Wednesday night, if you weren't here on Wednesday night, maybe, maybe I would need to preface this. Uh, let me just say in short, on Wednesday night, I talked to this church about the outpouring that's being experienced at campuses around our country. And standing behind the idea that I'm in the affirmative, I'm for what God is doing. I'm for the hunger that's there. But I told you that in meetings like this, this is not so that people can leave blessed. When God starts pouring his spirit out at college campuses, you can guarantee one thing, that God doesn't pour his spirit out without requiring something of us. Him pouring his spirit out is not so that people can leave and say, wow, that was good. When God pours his spirit out, he is asking a question. Who wants this? And who will follow me when this is over? It is a call to repentance in this nation. 
Yes, I celebrate it beyond imagination. I refuse to say one critical word about what's going on at campuses and colleges in this nation. But I want to tell you what God is doing. God is looking for somebody that will say yes. God's looking for somebody that will follow him for more than loaves and fishes. And so this week, I'm, I'm going to leave names out. If they ever feel free to share it, I'll let them share it. But I have friends that, that went to Asbury in Kentucky this week. They went into the meeting, and they, this is a first-hand account. This is not hearsay. I was contacted this week and was told that they went to Asbury, and there were, there were about four of them in, uh, the, in the group that went, and they kind of dispersed and they just sat down and began to talk with people. What are you here for? What are you hungry for? What have you been seeking God for? And every conversation that they would have, they would kind of leave the conversation by saying, listen, what we feel here is so real, but God has so much more for you. That's what they, God has so much more for you. How many of you believe that this morning? God has, man, I wish we could get that in our souls. God has so much more for you. And they, they had that conversation. They would sit down with somebody else. What are you here for? What have you been seeking God for? Well, I want you to know God has so much more for you. After a few minutes in that meeting, one of the faculty of the school got up and, and took the microphone. And they said, listen, we want to make something very clear in this room. For you pastors that are walking around in here telling people that God has more for them. There is not more. We want you to know that God does not have more for you. Church, listen to me. There is more for us. There is more for us than a goosebump. There is more for us than a chill up and down our spine. This is not just a call to feel his presence and then walk out. This is a call to die with him. This is a call to walk with him. I'm saying, God, keep pouring it out. Because even though there may be naysayers, pour it out. Pour out your spirit on all flesh. You know what we need? We need boldness in this hour. We need some young people that are hungry enough that when somebody says there's not more, they'll stand up and declare, there is more. There's more for us. I didn't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration and in power. He said, my... My speech was not with excellency. This word's interesting because it's used synonymously with preeminence. He said, I didn't come to you with preeminence of speech. In other words, I didn't come in here to you like I'm the only one that has a corner on this. I'm the only one that knows anything about this. He was saying, what I know, you can know. Who I'm talking about, you, you can know him. You can feel him. Listen to me, church. This is not a sign uh, the outpouring that's happening in our country right now is not a sign that God is displeased with his church, so he's pouring it out in schools. He's pouring it out in the street. That's, it's not a sign that God is displeased with his church. It's a sign that people are hungry. And I want to tell you, while the church has been relaxed, 
and we've sat back waiting on revival to come to us. There have been people that have been seeking God and desiring a move of his spirit. And my prayer is, God, when you start drawing these people, I pray that when they walk through the doors of this church, they won't be greeted with just excellency of speech, but they will be greeted with demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. For the David Bounds pastors in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We were in, in Norway the other day with his brother Aaron, Pastor Aaron Bounds. And Brother Bounds started telling me the story about his brother David's church. They're in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and it's a horrible, horrible drug area. Through the years, it's been known kind of as a, uh, I, don't, I don't mean disrespectful, but as far as drugs, kind of like the armpit of West Virginia. It's just been, been terrible, the things that have happened. And so we were in, in the bus, uh, in the van, traveling in Norway. And uh, I was watching our service on my phone. And uh, Brother Bounds was watching his service. I, I know you think when we leave, we just don't care what happens at church. But I've been watching y'all. <laughs> I've been watching. And there was a man in the pulpit. There was a man in the pulpit at Brother Bounds' church giving a testimony because his brother David was, uh, David was preaching at his church that night and he had this man testifying. He turned around and he said, Brother St. Clair, let me tell you about this man. He said, this guy was a drug addict. He said, this dude, man, he, he said he, he was messed up. And you can see he was all dressed up in a suit, but he had tattoos coming up out of his shirt collar everywhere. He was, he was all tatted up. He said, let me tell you about this man. He said, this guy, Brother St. Clair, he said he was such a horrible drug addict. He said, man, he was an absolute mess. And he said, my brother David was at the church working one day. And he said, this guy came walking by, a pretty rough-looking dude. Had, had his beard down here and his tattoos coming up everywhere. And he stopped and he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, oh, man, I'm just working in the church. Brother Bounce, I'm just working in the church. The guy said, can I see it? So what you're saying is you want me to move out of public where everybody can see us and go in here where. You know what he said? Because he'd been praying that God would send people. He said, man, come on. Come on in here. Come on. He said, he opened the doors of the church. And this rough looking dope head, he said, man. He said, this guy walked through the doors of the church. He said, when we stepped inside. He went to his knees. He said he started repenting right there when he walked in the door. He said he fell to his knees and started repenting of his sins. He took him to the baptistry and baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. And God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He came out. That was the guy that was in the pulpit the other night. He's a licensed preacher. He came out of the water, baptized in Jesus' name, and he told Brother David Bounds, he said, I got to call my grandmother. He said, I got to call my grandmother. She answered the phone. He said, Granny, I got to tell you, my life's been a mess. 
I know you've been praying for me. He said, I just want you to know I just got baptized. She said, how were you baptized? He said, Granny, I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. His old granny was an apostolic Pentecostal praying woman. She had been praying for him for years. And Jesus reached down in the muck and the mire of addiction and brought him out. What are you saying, Pastor? Keep on praying, Grandmother. He's still enough. Keep on praying, Mama. He's still enough. So he joined Narcotics Anonymous. He joined Narcotics Anonymous, in a. He went to the meeting. Everybody in the room had been struggling, you know. And they came to him and asked his name. Told his name, he said, I'd like to say something. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> he said, I was a terrible drug addict. But I went to the house of the Lord. And I was baptized in Jesus' name. And he filled me with his spirit. I'm saying he's still enough. Brother Bounds, Brother Aaron Bounds started weeping, telling me this story. This guy's talking in the pulpit. He said, bro, God set that man on fire. And he said since, I think it's 2017... They baptized over 900 drug addicts in Jesus' name. Listen, the state of West Virginia is sitting up and recognizing it's the only county in West Virginia since COVID that the drug numbers have gone down. God is using his church that believes he is still enough. All the world is going to see the goodness of God. How could you ever look at a drug addict and tell him there's not more for you? I've come to tell Anderson, Indiana, there's more. He's enough. something on me this morning I can't get out of it we got to wake up and realize we're not going to program revival we're not going to come up with a neat enough program for revival it's going to come when people realize he is more than enough I don't know who all's here this morning there's a lot of faces I recognize and thank God there's a bunch I don't because that's what we've been praying for. So if you're here today, I don't want you to think I'm preaching at you. But I want you to know that God sent you here and put a message in my spirit this morning for you. I don't care what you're addicted to. I don't care what your story is. 
I don't care where you come from. And it don't matter who your mother and daddy are. He is still enough. But pastor, I'm so bound. But you can leave here free. I'm almost done. I got to hurry. I feel him. Hallelujah. I've been doing this all my life. I've got to be transparent with you and tell you that I felt the pressure of preaching. I've been in meetings where I felt the pressure to perform. I've been, I've been in meetings where I felt like, as a young man, Brother Snow, I felt like if I'm going to be successful in the ministry, then there's people in this room that need to like what I'm saying if I'm ever going to get to preach anywhere else. I felt that. Now I'm kind of at a stage where it's like, maybe they won't like what I'm saying. Because I'm building these sky miles like crazy. <laughs> Listen to me. I was in a meeting, and I want to be as vague as I can about this. My wife walked this road with me from a perspective of a spouse, but I, it was honestly a place that was prophesied over me that I was going to have to go alone. My wife was with me, and, I, and, and she, she knows this. We, we've communicated about this. There's some places that God has to take a man alone and a woman alone that we can't, we, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, we do everything together. There should be no secrets, but I'm saying it, sometimes God's got to work on me. This is, not, this is not for the married people. This is for everybody. He's got to work on you. And God had to take me, and I, 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 I preached this meeting. It was a big meeting. Preached several days in a row. There was a, I don't even know if I should tell the story. There was, a, there was a man there that early in the meeting, I shook his hand and I noticed that he had some, some help walking with, uh, he had some crutch stuff to walk and just in passing, he was so hungry, you know, young, young men meet preachers, it's funny because they're like, they kind of get googly eyed, you know, oh, Brother St. Clair, it's so good to meet you. Hey, God bless you, son, you know. And uh, he was limping, and I went to walk away. And I got stirred in my spirit, and I said, hey, before this meeting's over, I want to pray for you. Tell me what happened. He told me, he said, I snapped my leg in two. And he said, I gotta, I've got to have surgery when I get home. They're going to, they're going to, they got to break my leg and put it back together to heal right. And I said, I believe God's going to touch you before this meeting's over. So I was preaching on the last day of the meeting. The Holy Ghost was falling. I was just preaching demonstration and power. It wasn't enticing words of men's wisdom. I was preaching that day what I believe is still for the church today. I began to preach on the miracle work and power of Jesus. There were a few folks like you, all you crazy people that, that you, you come out before anybody gives an altar call and all that stuff, you know, all these crazy Pentecostals. And 
I looked up and there was a few people that were really hungry. I could, I could sense the hunger in their hearts. They came forward and I looked to my left and all the way across that stage was the young man standing there. And he was looking at me like, you told me that you would pray for me. He didn't say a word, but I could tell what he was. He was just looking at me. He had expectation and I said, come here, son. I put my hands on him. I didn't make it any big deal. Said in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And he took off running, full blast. And when he took off running on that broken leg around the church, it went. God started healing people. Miracles and signs and wonders were happening. Now, I appreciate you clapping, but I'm going to bring you back down. I left that meeting. I got started getting phone calls from preachers. I got a phone call from a man that I thought was one of my closest friends in the world. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? He said, I got a kid that came home. So it's completely different cases. I got a kid that came home from that meeting. He felt like God had healed him at the meeting. And he said he's more sick than he's ever been. And he said, you created problems for me. How about wrecked the car? I said, created problems? He's got the faith that God can heal him? And it's a problem? He said, yeah, you put pressure on me. I said, pressure for what? To lay hands on him and say, son, I believe with you. We're killing people's faith by telling them that he's not enough. I didn't heal anybody. Jesus is the healer. I've never healed a man. I've never set a soul free. But I know a man that can. I'm hurrying, but I'm telling you this story, not out of bitterness. You understand me. I want you to know there's no guile in my mouth. I've been set free. from. I, I could take you to the place where I was preaching one night in Dayton, Ohio. I was preaching a, a meeting one night, and I heard the voice of the Lord. This was years before that. I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. I could take you almost to the spot I was standing, Elder. And the Lord said, right now I have set you free from the fear of men. I, I, I'm not telling you this because I'm bitter. I'm telling you this because I want you to know that when this house is full, notice how I said that, when this house is full of empty wheelchairs and crutches, it's not because of who I am. He is still enough. I'll never forget the night, Sister Barbara. wondering she was dragging around on her on a walker because she had a stroke but she walked right here the holy ghost hit her and she threw that walker on the platform 
she's never been the same because God is enough. He is still enough. He is still enough. He is still enough. I'm almost finished. I'm on overtime right now. That meeting was over. I don't. I. I wish I would have kept all of them. Elvis, people started sending me emails. My husband and I have been trying to have children for years. And after that meeting, we went home. I'm glad to tell you I'm three months pregnant, six months pregnant, whatever. People sitting about miracles that had happened. I'm like, God, you, you saved me to see the end time revival. Please, folks, this has nothing to do with me. I'm just hungry for God, and I realize that he's enough. I'm sincere before you. All the glory belongs to God. It, it has nothing to do with me. We left that meeting. My wife could tell you, man, I was heartbroken. I was as tired as I'd ever been. I was in the middle of a revival that some of our church people didn't even know. It had been going on for seven weeks. And I would fly out first thing on Friday morning. I caught the first flight out of Indianapolis that I could get. And I would fly to North Carolina and I would preach on Friday night. And I would fly home on Saturday and I would preach here Sunday. I did that. I was there, I believe, six out of the seven weeks. They had to have a week without me. And it was a mighty outpouring. And, and the week that I was driving there is when I started getting the calls. And I had someone tell me they were sitting in a meeting and they said we, we, we were in a, in a board meeting and they started talking about speakers for the, for the next year for the same meeting. And one of the men spoke up and said, listen, God started something. Let's, let's have Brother St. Clair come back. And one of the men in the room, please don't you dare let this make you better. Please. What I'm, about, I'm telling you this so that God receives the glory. Please. I don't know why I keep feeling to, to, to say that, but I want this to be crystal clear. And one of the men in that meeting said, that kind of ministry is too dangerous. We don't need that. And I let the enemy tell me that we've got to get back to what, what we call normal. I had a very close friend. Again, I'm being very careful because I know people listen. I had a very close friend that preached a powerful meeting. Some of you were there. He preached on angels. And after that meeting was over, it was another kind of board meeting like that, got together and said, That's, that, there's, there's too much other stuff to preach. We don't have to preach on angels. Oh, God forbid. I'm going to tell you all something. As long as there's breath in my body, we will never stop preaching on the miracle work and power of Jesus. As long as I'm breathing, this church will always believe in angels. As long as I'm preaching, this church will always believe that you can walk in here bound and addicted and you can leave here healed and set free. As long as I'm breathing, I'm going to believe you can walk in here with cancer and walk out healed in the name of Jesus. And herein lies the problem. 
There is so much more that we could preach. That's probably true. There's a lot of knowledge that we could preach about. But why not just preach Jesus? (laughs) For I determined not to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He could have called on 10,000 angels to take him off of that tree, but he stayed there because Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgression and he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, We are healed. Music come. Music come. You can stay standing if you wish. It's a lie from the devil, but I'm going to tell you what's happening. The hungrier the world gets for Jesus the more the enemy is going to try to get us to preach anything but Jesus. Our pulpit should not be a place where we get up and talk about how to eat clean and have healthy living. It's important. But I came to preach to you about a God this morning that is still able to save to the uttermost. He is still able to set you free. You know, I... There's a lot of people worried, well, what what if people don't come? Listen, we got to preach Jesus so powerful, and you got to get a revelation of him that's so powerful that we can't keep you away from here. I know it's late, but if you're in this house today and you know, not because somebody else told you, but you know because in your life he did it for you, if you know that he is a deliverer, I want you to just step out in the aisle right now. If you know he's a deliverer. (laughs) You do know every step you take right now, you're walking on the devil's head. Because the devil thought he would destroy you with addiction. But God... If you know this morning, not because somebody told you, but because he healed your body, if you know he's a healer, I want you to step out. Come on, let me see your hand if he's ever healed your body. Woo! There's getting ready to be something fall in this room right now. I haven't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. I tell you in Jesus' name today that if preaching Jesus is dangerous, we need more dangerous preaching. If preaching that he's a healer is dangerous, we need more dangerous preaching.
Hit preaching. Whoa. If you can physically lift your hands to Jesus, I want you to do it right now. Woo! And I want you to make it a matter of prayer right now. Lord, whatever you're doing, don't you do it without me. I want to get involved in what you're doing in the earth. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want to experience it in my own body. My God is more than enough. He can supply all your needs. He is the El Shaddai. He always looks out for.